Glad that you're here. Is this thing on? Oh, there we go. Feels like it. Well, this morning we are wrapping up this uh, little seven-week series that we have been in. If you are a guest with us or joining us online and are not familiar with North Hills Church, we are a church that is regularly committed to systematic exposition of God's Word, which is uh, basically verse-by-verse preaching through uh, books of the Bible, uh, alternating between the New Testament and Old Testament. Most recently, um, what book did we finish? My brain uh, blanks out. Daniel, the book of Daniel. Thank you. And as we said earlier, we'll be uh, starting the book of Colossians uh, next week. Uh, But we did take uh, this little seven-week break to go through what we call uh, the marks of a healthy church. And uh, through this seven weeks, uh, we went through ecclesiology, the study of the church, uh, and then talked about deacons, elders, and then our four G's, which is uh, in the particular order of this series, to uh, go, gather, give, and grow. And as James pointed out last week, which is not our normal order, which is to gather, grow, give, and go. And we know order is not necessarily important, uh, but we are so used to saying it in, uh, in a particular way. Uh, but this morning, we are going to wrap this series up uh, with an emphasis on, grow- on growing and uh, spiritual growth and what that looks like. Uh, and just like last week, whenever James preached on giving, um, and obviously we always kind of have a, a disclosure up front for those who are new with us or those who are listening online, uh, there is usually a misconception. And if we uh, talk about terms at North Hills, uh, maybe what folks are, are used to thinking of. Whenever we t- think about giving, a lot of folks have a, a particular way of thinking of what giving looks like, and maybe a particular, uh, particular understanding of giving historically in the church and what, uh, versus what the Scripture says about giving, what, what we see in, uh, in the New Testament, what the New Testament believer uh, gives as, as ultimately what Christ has given to us, in the same way with growth. And so we're going to see this morning what growth looks like. Whenever we think about church growth, we may think of words like uh, uh, strategic growth strategy uh, or church growth strategy, rather, or maybe membership drives. If you think back to the uh, late 90s, if you remember those, or the church growth thermometers, or maybe even seeker-sensitive churches uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, All of these are concerned with one particular thing, and that is numerical growth. And that is not what we mean whenever we talk about church growth. This is not a sermon on how can we fill these seats, how can we fill these pews. Uh, Although there are specific numbers you can talk about when it comes to pews and seats. I was at a church this week helping a uh, uh, a inner city Monroe church talk about uh, they're taking over a building very similar to us. They're a church plant in South Monroe and they have uh, pews. They don't go to chairs and I could talk about the numbers, right? I'm a numbers guy. Uh, there's, uh, you can uh, take pews and you can fill a room 80% if you have pews and you can go 90% if you have chairs and there's great numbers and talking about those sort of things. But that is not what we're talking about this morning. Uh, so a few things on what, the, what church growth is not. The New Testament is not concerned about numerical growth. And we saw in Acts chapter 2 uh, a few weeks ago when we talked about ecclesiology, uh, the New Testament does speak of numbers a couple times. It does point out the church grew numerically, uh, points us to a couple uh, instances 
when it talked about the church growing by three and five thousand. But it points those out not to say, look at how many the church had, but it points those out to say, look, the church was growing in number, ultimately to point to see who was growing it, that it was the Lord who was bringing the growth. And so it pointed to those numbers for a very specific purpose, but it did so only on a couple of occasions. Uh, I think it is meaningful to note that as elders of North Hills, we just celebrated uh, 11 years as a church plant. And I confirm this was James because James keeps better records of, uh, of any of us. He is the smarter uh, of our elders. I think we'll all agree. Justin, is that right? And so in, as a, in 11 years uh, of, a, of, a church, of a church plant, not a church plant, all right, it's a church. As a grown-up church, 11 years of church ministry, we have never had a meaningful conversation as church elders uh, about numerical growth as a church. And that, to me, that's very important as a church leader. Uh, for us, as elders, as leaders in the church, numbers has never been something that has been specifically important to us. Uh, even as, as a numbers guy, as I often say that I am, because uh, I am someone who can spout off many statistics, I can't even tell you our attendance. Uh, I can't even tell you our numbers. I can't tell you how many we've averaged over the past year, over the past 11 years. Uh, the only thing I can really tell you for the longest time, Ryan Lane had the running uh, uh, highest attendance at his ordination. And I don't even know if that's true anymore. I don't think it is anymore. And so, uh, so numbers are important only in the sense of the representing people. But when we talk about growth, that is not it. Our key growth strategy here numerically is to have babies. And you all have done a great job with that in North Hills. And uh, continue in that numerical growth strategy. Kidding, mainly. Uh, so that is what growth is not. But let us discuss what growth is. And so this morning, there are three means by which believers grow. Three means by which believers grow. Now, full disclosure, we cannot do any of these areas uh, justice. Uh, but we will attempt to highlight the way in which believers uh, have and experience growth in each of these. And so let's start with the beginning. When we talk about spiritual growth, obviously the beginning is with the Spirit. So the first way in which we experience growth is through the Spirit. So believers grow through the Spirit. Now we are going to be all over the Bible. And so this, uh, we are literally in the New Testament. We're going to probably cover half of the New Testament. We're going to dip into the Old Testament one time. And so we'll uh, turn to the majority of these passages. Uh, you can turn to me, uh, with me if you like. Some of them you can just hang uh, on for the ride. But go me to John chapter 14 if you like. John chapter 14, verse, verses 16 and 17. Some of these are very familiar passages if you've been with us much at North Hills. John 14, 16 and 17. We'll start in 15. If you love me, you will, have, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. And I wish we could just spend a lot of time here in John 14. And we talk often about this, this essential concept of the Spirit. And the, the church does not talk enough about the Spirit. And we cannot talk enough about the Spirit. The, that is probably the essential difference between believers and unbelievers is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus addresses this. The world uh, is, is devoid of the Spirit. 
And it does not know the Spirit. It cannot see the Spirit. It lacks the Spirit. But you, you know Him. You are full of the Spirit, he says. And in 2 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read you 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if he is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. You're in the book of John, so go over a few chapters to John chapter 3. Most of you are familiar with John chapter 3, verse 16. But before John 3, 16, Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus. It is this beautiful conversation about, uh, about the Spirit and about what it means to be born again. And in John 3, verse, starting in verse 5, he's talking to Nicodemus and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is the beginning of a new journey. When we talk about spiritual growth and spiritual birth, it literally is new life. We see this in Paul. We see this with Jesus. The Word of God clearly says it is new life. The old is gone. The new comes. And it's only through the new birth of the Spirit inside of a believer that allows us to be born again, which allows us to grow, allows us to begin this spiritual journey, that thus we begin growing as believers. So believers grow through the Spirit. Go with me now to Galatians as we think about the Spirit. Book of Galatians. Go to Ephesians, which... You North Hillians should know very well and take a left. Galatians chapter 5. Going to read a little chunk here. Galatians 5, 16 through 25. Paul says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit. So the Spirit is inside of us now as believers. We're growing in the Spirit. We're walking now. Just walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But but the fruit of the Spirit is this. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. 
So if we are alive in the Spirit, then we will walk in the Spirit. We will keep in step with the Spirit God's Word says. Paul reminds the church here that if we have the Spirit of God inside of us, and if we are Christians, we will have the Spirit of God inside of us. And a litmus test for that is we desire these things. And a litmus test for that is we do not desire these things of the flesh. Now, we know that we're still going to struggle with this, but ultimately when we do, we know that the Spirit of God will bring conviction on us. And so we see growth in our life as we desire to walk in the Spirit and as we desire to reject these things of the flesh. A lot of growth in the Spirit happens quickly and some happens a little more slowly. If you look at this list, some of these things you would say, as a believer, whenever the old man dies, the new man is born again, some of these things should go away pretty quickly, right? You shouldn't be a sorcerer anymore if you're a Christian. Can we agree to that? It should be like, you know, that should go away on your resume as a Christian. But some of these things with dissension and strife, that may, we may struggle as a believer. We go to the Lord on a regular basis and, and help the enmity that we may have with another. And so we know the struggle that we have. As even Paul says, he doesn't do the things he wants to do. He does the things he doesn't want to do. And so we know that we're not going to achieve perfection in this life. But we desire, as we grow as believers, we desire to grow in the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. And so there's a lot of growth in the Spirit that happens quickly and some more slowly. And before we walk in the Spirit, the Lord, and before we walk in the Spirit, the Lord stirs the Spirit within us. And this is just a a phrase the Lord has brought to my mind and heart even here recently. Something He's been reminding me of, and I've shared with the community group, maybe a few other settings, that He has things that He used early in my life to stir in my spirit, to stir in my heart, that He used when I was younger. Certain music, maybe certain Bible studies, certain teachers, certain preachers, many of whom, honestly, I wouldn't prescribe to young believers today. Now, I would prescribe everyone to listen to DC Talk and early third day and different things, but honestly, I probably wouldn't as much as I would certain music today. There are certain Bible studies that were God used in incredible ways, and I would not deny its usefulness in my life as a believer, but it's not the same studies that I would encourage someone to dive into today and reminds me to be gracious to the means that the lord uses today and others around me that may not be how i would work in them if i were the lord but thanks be to the maker that i'm not god can i get an amen on that may the lord stir his spirit in his people however he chooses because as believers we grow through the spirit and the lord uses that means clearly in the lives of his people but not only this do we grow through the spirit god's people also grow through scripture go with me to second peter we uh, have been through second peter a few years back Second Peter, the very end of it, chapter 3. Second Peter, chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. We see that God's people grow not only through the Spirit, but God's people grow through Scripture, through the Word. 
We'll start there in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does, and this is kind of funny, in all of his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, these are some things in them that are uh, hard to understand, which of the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do to the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing that there are those out there who are twisting scripture and who are false teachers, Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So this is the task before the people that, uh, that Peter is addressing here. So he is, he, he is addressing them. He is addressing this, this, uh, this false teaching that is creeping into the church. And he is he's giving these final words here to his beloved, to these that he loves. He says he knows that this is coming. And so he is saying, this is, this is going to happen. And so take note, he says. So know, this is, know beforehand, this is going to come. And this is what you do. So that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability. In verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter didn't say stand firm, but he said grow. Now to me, that is very interesting. He could have said stand firm in the faith against these teachers of lawlessness. He could have said, stand, stand firm in what you know to be true and what you've been taught. That would have been a good word. But that's not what he said. That's not what Scripture teaches here. But what he says is, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Continue to continue to grow in knowledge and grace. So he didn't say stand firm. He said grow. Believers do not achieve an academic certification level of Scripture and then check out. We don't study this to a point and say, I've got it. Now I'm good. Now I can stand firm. We don't live 40 years, achieve a certain status, a certain education level, say, I've got it. Now I'm good. And I don't have to worry about it anymore. I know enough. We will never know enough of God's Word. Never. Well, John, I'm 78 years old. Brother Sonny, I love Brother Sonny. Brother Sonny will never know enough as long as you live of God's Word. And Brother Sonny would tell you that, wouldn't you, Brother Sonny? We'll never know enough of God's Word because its depths are limitless. And so he doesn't say stand firm on what you know. He doesn't say, doesn't say stand firm on what you learned as a kid. Doesn't say stand firm on what you learned in your prime. It says, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. We are called to know the word and to grow in the word. One pastor says it very well, and I just want to read, read this quote from him. 
says, true stability in the Christian life comes not from planting two feet and holding fast, but from putting one foot in front of the other and moving forward, one grace-empowered step at a time. A stable Christian is a growing Christian. And I think we need to hear that, church. A stable Christian is a growing Christian. It's easy, especially for those of us, we, we love we love theology, we love doctrine, and, and, and there can be a point, right, man, we, I've, I've grabbed onto something, and, and, and I've got it, and I, and I have this understanding that I haven't had before, and we can just kind of, okay, I've got that, I'm going to move on to something else. Or maybe you're at a certain point in your life, you know, I've, I've had this for, for 20, 30, 40 years, I'm going to move on to something else. Or, or I'm, I'm so firm in what I believe, I can move on. But let us... Let us grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. True stability in the Christian life doesn't come from planting two feet and holding fast, but from one putting one foot in front of the other and moving forward one grace-empowered step at a time. A stable Christian is a growing Christian. This kind of growth, this growth through Scripture, is not the pursuit of knowledge, but it is the pursuit of a person. And that person is Jesus Christ Himself. Go with me real quick to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read this one kind of fast because it's, um, you really got to read these first 16 verses to really get the, what's happening here. And I think we've read it in these past few weeks. But when it comes to growth, you really just can't miss this. But Ephesians 4, we'll starting verse 1, says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all the humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. But see this picture of growth here, what Christ has done for us to mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so we are growing to be more like Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And we'll see this in Philippians at the end. But it is Christ. Christ does all the work. 
He is the one who brings even the spirit of unity through the spirit. He is the one who brings us all together to, to, to mature manhood, to his fullness. Older that we might become more like him. That we might know him. This growth is not a pursuit of knowledge, but a pursuit of person Jesus himself. And so Paul reminds us in Ephesians that we are growing into Christ to be more like Christ. John chapter 1. Let's just turn there real quick. Some of these things you really just can't summarize. You just really have to turn there. John chapter 1. As you think about Christ and the Word, because what we don't want to walk away with, we, we want to have a full understanding of what Scripture is. Scripture is not it's not just a, a, it's not a cold gathering of words. It is the Word, and the Word is Christ. John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light and that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light who is Christ, which, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So how did God's people become God's people? By God. Not their own will, by God. And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word of God is Christ, is Jesus. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from him, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is the Father's side. He has made him known. So Scripture, what we call the Bible, is the revealed word of God that points us to Jesus. And so this Scripture that we have points us to Christ. As we plumb the depths of Scripture, we do not seek out secret truths to be found, but we do so to better understand the one subject of the Bible, and that subject is the gospel of Jesus. Every page we turn to, every chapter, every unit we turn to, we find more and more the gospel of Jesus. And so the Word is Christ. And so as we grow through the Scripture, we grow in our understanding, not of a subject, but of a person, of Christ. And we grow immensely by knowing God's Word, by reading God's Word, by studying God's Word, by singing God's Word, by memorizing God's Word, by hearing God's Word, and by believing God's Word. Well, preacher, you're enough just to come Sundays and 
listen to God's Word. Isn't it enough just to dial in on YouTube, listen to God's Word? It's enough, right? God's Word, we should be consumed with God's Word because it is Christ, the revealed Word of Christ. So God's people, we grow through the Spirit. We grow through Scripture. And finally, some of you may want to go ahead and leave. We grow through suffering. God's people grow through suffering. Turn me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Before we read this passage, let's consider a couple of basic definitions of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is to be more like Christ. This is good. And that's a good basic definition of spiritual growth. Uh, it works. It's good. It's to be like Christ. And that can we could spend a lot of time just talking about what it means to be more like Christ. Isaiah paints a picture of the Messiah as a suffering servant. Isaiah says this. We don't have to turn there. Says he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. And so, as we talk about Christ, he is the suffering servant. And so, yes, as we think about spiritual growth and spiritual growth being more like Christ, we remember that Christ was the suffering servant. And the believers grow through suffering. So therefore, to be more like Christ is for one to be familiar with suffering. Another definition that I would offer, and I, I like this definition a lot, is that spiritual growth comes with an increase of awareness of our need of Jesus and us placing our trust solely in Him. Let me say that again. Spiritual growth comes with an increase of awareness of our need of Jesus and us placing our trust solely in Him. And we talk often about growth at North Hills. And we, we talk about growth at North Hills. We, know we don't talk about numerical growth. We talk about, we, uh, as elders, we can point you to lives of the people in our church and how they, they, they are aware of, of suffering in their life. They're aware of needs in their life and how they need Jesus more now uh, ever then in the history of their, of, of their life, of their marriage, of, their, of their, even their own life, and they look into Him now more than ever before, and that is where spiritual growth really comes from. When you know you have greater need of Jesus and you trust Him more, to me, that is a definition of spiritual growth. So simply put, life is tough. And the sad reality for those in here who are young, it only gets tougher the older we get the more heartache we come to know the deeper that heartache hurts the more pain that we will experience the more suffering that we will experience and the more opportunity that we will have to look to christ who is the suffering servant does that sound crazy good Let's look to Romans chapter 5. I think with that backdrop, we can appreciate Romans 5 a little more. First five verses. Romans 5 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace 
in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So that's good, right? We can all affirm that, say amen, go eat lunch, call it a day. But here's verse 3. Not only that, Paul says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now let's just be real for a second. Let's just stop reading. In all reality, who can say that? I mean, let's just be really real for a second. Most of us in this room, we're, we grew up in church. We get, for, to some degree, we get used to hearing church words and church terms. We get used to hearing, hey, let's rejoice in sufferings. But you just think about the people in your life who, who haven't been, who haven't heard these words their whole life. How many of your coworkers who don't know Jesus can honestly say they rejoice in sufferings? How many people really get excited about suffering in their life? How many people spend all the money they have not to suffer? So it's important sometimes to step back and, and read this in a new light. Because if we're really honest, we don't want to suffer. If we're really honest, we don't want our loved ones to suffer. We don't want to go through sickness. We don't want to go through financial difficulty. We don't want loved ones to die. We don't want loved ones to go through spiritual difficulty. But yet, here's Paul, excuse me. Here's Paul and his crazy self saying we're going to rejoice in sufferings. Hope he's got something better than that, right? Not only that, Paul says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And he, through the Holy Spirit, gives us, he gives us something. He says, this is why. Knowing, not hoping, not just giving a chance, but knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And what does character produce? And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so suffering is the conduit that gives us hope through the Holy Spirit. So if I said, I have the means to which to give you the hope of the Holy Spirit, would you say, give it to me? If you were struggling in your life and I said, hey, I can guarantee you hope through the Holy Spirit. And I need your checkbook. You just pull it out right and say, how much? I don't need your checkbook. Then what do you need? What commitment do you need? Just needs you to endure suffering. That's in essence what Paul's saying here. That's what suffering does. And this is why Paul says we can rejoice in suffering because this is what it leads to. It leads, it produces endurance and character, which leads to hope. And the hope is the secret sauce of the Christian life. That is what sets us apart as believers 
Because hope is the confident expectation that Jesus is who He says He is. And if He's not, Paul says later on, that we are the people to be most pitied. Because hope isn't this is, well, I'm just banking on it's all right. I'm just banking on my ladders, leaning against the right religion. And it's not hope. Hope is our great expectation. It is the greatest confident expectation we have that everything that we believe, every fiber of our being is in Christ. And He has poured that into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So yes, believers can rejoice in sufferings. All sufferings. It doesn't qualify here, right? It doesn't qualify physical or financial, emotional, family, medical. It doesn't qualify any kind of suffering. It's just sufferings. We can rejoice in sufferings. It doesn't mean suffering is going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be palatable. It doesn't mean it's going to be short-lived. It just means when it comes to our life, and Jesus gives us that promise. He says, I'm going to make you a promise, Christian. You will have sufferings. He says, you will have tribulation in this world. But he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. And so as we grow, we grow through the Spirit, and we grow through Scripture. But I promise you, church, we grow through suffering. If we are His people, we will grow through suffering. We don't have to understand it. In the midst of it, don't even have to agree with it in the midst of it. But we need to look to Jesus knowing that our hope and our expectation and our endurance and our character is being produced by the Holy Spirit through that suffering, through whatever it is He has taken us through. Because yes, He will give us more than we can handle. Amen? Because He can handle it. He doesn't want us to be able to handle it. He wants us to look to Him and trust Him and not our own ability. So we rejoice in suffering because we grow through suffering. Believers grow through the Spirit, through Scripture, and through suffering. And finally, let us remember that God, that it is God who will complete our growth. And let us turn to Philippians, first chapter of Philippians. Kind of a sermon benediction, if you will. I'm going to read verses 3 through 11. I won't read it fast through this one. It's just a beautiful thanksgiving and prayer. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11 says this, I thank my God and all my remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's just camp there for a quick second. As we talk about spiritual growth, it is God who does the work in us through the Holy Spirit. Let us not have any, any momentary 
uh, pride in us that, hey, look how far I've come or look what is happening in me or, you know, I've, I've grown to, through this spiritual aspect of my life or I've, I've come to know this scriptural truth or I've survived this amount of suffering. But it is God who does the work in us. And not only does he do the work in us, but he promises to complete that work in us. He will bring us through it and he will complete it, he says, in the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you all, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. As we say this picture of growth and love with knowledge and all discernment. So he is looking to his people and he said, I pray that you grow in love and I pray that you grow in knowledge. And I pray that you grow in discernment. And so even in this opening to the church of Philippi, he is, he is imploring them to grow in these areas so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So let us be a people who love the Lord and grow in Him. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for Your love for us, Lord, that You have, you have empowered us to grow. And You've not left us alone to do this by ourselves. But You've filled us with the Spirit and You've given us Your revealed Word and You've walked us through suffering. All of this, for not just for Your glory, but for our good. So we thank you. And so I just um, thank you for this gathering of people. And I just pray that this morning that we can respond to your word and in faith. We can look to you and we can trust you. And Lord, whatever place we're at this morning, Lord, that um, we can behold Christ. So we have a chance this morning to respond uh, in this uh, time of, of song as we have a chance to respond through giving, through time of communion lord and even as we leave i pray that we do so as as those who are your people and if there's one this morning lord who does not know you and has never i've been full of your spirit and has looked to you in repentance of their sin and looked to christ i pray even now that you would do a work in their heart that only you can do we pray these things in christ's name amen